0: As we continue to worship, let's give our full attention to the reading of God's holy word. The scripture comes to us from Acts chapter 9, the first nine verses. Just to let you know, we are winding down to the conclusion of our sermon series in the book of Acts. I know we've scattered all over the place, but this singular conversion launches the public ministry, three missionary travels, and the preaching of one Saul, or apostle Paul, So we'll just be concentrating on him as he unlocks the rest of this book. But the first nine verses, let's give our attention to it. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way... He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Our passage today unveils... One of the most remarkable, dramatic conversions in all of history. want you to rest assured from the outset, your conversion, or if you are to be converted someday, does not have to be as obvious or dramatic as this. I mean, this conversion had literal audio and visual from heaven. Most conversions are not but they're no less miraculous most conversions even in the book of acts are not but they are no less powerful and life-changing some misunderstandings when it comes around this topic it's kind of a taboo word conversion proselytizing evangelizing but according to the scriptures, uh, conversion isn't merely produced by taking classes. Okay. Conversion isn't uh, about learning a new way to talk or dress or behave. It's not adopting a new code of conduct and culture. That would be very reductionistic. Conversion isn't also even merely like physical, social, economic political liberation and transformation although those are very good things but that too I think would be simplistic and certainly Christian conversion is not about a becoming a better you or the best version of you because that leaves you in charge two essential elements must converge I will use Saul's conversion as a paradigm. Not every aspect or detail of what happened to him must happen to you. But these two elements uh, do need to come together. The first is this. Revelation. Revelation. Out of the blue, Jesus calls the name of Saul. Saul, Saul. Now, let me just clear up some confusion about the name of Saul. Saul was not converted into Paul. It's not like he changed his name after this. I made that mistake way in the past as well. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his name in Latin. And this name, Paul, the author Luke, uses throughout the entirety of the book of Acts. As well as Saul or Paul... He himself prefers the name Paul in all of the books that he authored because he was a consummate missionary to the Roman Empire, a diverse population. And as a consummate missionary, Saul or Paul was one of the most adaptable, flexible, adjusting people you would have ever met. He would literally do anything possible so that he could approach and appeal to his audience contextually. Paul preferred Paul because to the Roman audience, that was more palatable. At the same time, he was uncompromising when it came to his teaching, his words, the truth, the content or what we call doctrine. Well, back to Saul or Paul. Until God showed up and revealed himself to him, Saul held on to a certain set of beliefs. He was devout. He was certain. He was confident. He was cocky, you might say. And he was proselytizing that. And he was furious about it. Here's what his, his beliefs included. There's only one God, monotheism. There's only one one supreme living God. Second, resurrection, the miracle of resurrection, bodies and soul rising from the dead into an eternal paradise. That will happen at the end of human history. One God, resurrection happens at the end of human history. Third, which of course is not exhaustive, God's law, the Old Testament, is a revelation of God's righteousness And that righteousness must be attained. It is a standard, universal, ultimate righteousness. And we must earn it. We must keep it. We must obey it. Now, here comes along these believers, disciples, or followers of the way. They're called the way in chapter 9. But in chapter 11 at Antioch, they're called Christians. Believers and followers of the way claimed that God had a son, Saul is like, what? God has, there's another person? And then he sent his son by the name of Jesus? And then these Christians claimed that Jesus lived and died and rose again in their present lifetimes. Something that he expected only to occur at the end of human history, intruded, and happened now. And then righteousness. Righteousness. An acceptable, approved classification by a holy, perfect God. Righteousness. These Christians claimed, uh, you don't earn it. You don't work for it. You can never gain it. You don't attain it. You don't perform it. You just receive it by faith in a substitute savior. All right. So this drove Saul mad. These Christians are evidently heretics leading people astray. Sending them down to you know where. So he was passionate, determined, and all out for it. That was Saul. For a further context, look at verses 59 of chapter 7 into chapter 8, verse 3. And as they were stoning Stephen, uh, Stephen, one of these believers and followers of the way the first martyr of the first Christian church. He was being stoned because he was preaching about Jesus had risen from the dead. And as people were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Sounds like someone else. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Next verses. And Saul approved of his execution. Saul was there. He's an eyewitness. He's like applauding and celebrating this. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I don't recommend the movie *Inglorious Bastards, but there's a character in there that says he's a Jew hunter. He was a Nazi soldier, a Nazi top-notch officer who just went hunting for Jews. That's all hunting for Christians, door to door, taking names, dragging them out. Chapter nine, verse one, our immediate context. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. You know why he went to the high priest? He wanted approval to go as far as into Damascus, which is 150 miles away you talk about a zealot you talk about an all-out special forces frontline trooper he wants to travel 150 miles without modern travel to pursue and hunt down more christians gaining legal approval so that he can drag them all the way from damascus back to jerusalem But on that road to Damascus, on the road that Saul took to pursue, whom he assumed were heretics, the worst of their kind to the human population, Saul turns around to find find and discover, he's being pursued. He's being pursued. And when God overtakes him, God overthrows his system of beliefs and every part of Saul with this opening question. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul. Why do you hurt me so? Why are you stabbing my heart? Why are you causing me so much pain? Evidently, that voice is identifying with his people, his followers, whoever this voice is, that person is so... United and in love and in solidarity with his followers that what you do to his people is directly done to him? Then all that Saul could ask was after that was who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Saul had the best education the best background, theological training. He had the best reputation and record of righteousness, but he has no clue who is God. Saul read and memorized all the Old Testament scriptures. He knew the Old Testament inside out. But when the real God shows up, he is completely lost. When God reveals himself, he is confounded. He has no answers, just the question, who are you? And the answer is, I am Jesus. Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. Jesus answers and says, I am the God. I am the Lord whom you have been dead set against. Revelation. A revelation. The power of it, the power of revelation. Uh, Verse 4 says, um, falling to the ground. Literal physical occurrence. I mean, Saul was just taken down. Revelation tends to do that. When God reveals himself, it tends to do that. All the other little distractions and irritations just, 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 just disappear. And the power of God's revelation is that it breaks through to the least expected, the last person you could expect to convert. The most resistant, the most violent, the most hostile, the most convinced. He was filled with self-righteous contempt. Self-righteous contempt. That is, everyone over there is dead wrong. They're going to, but I alone am right. The power of revelation. It's nature. It's nature. Revelation from God is distinct from self-discovery through academics, enlightenment, hmm? science. Science, you're the subject, you're studying an object. Even religious studies. No, no, no. Verse 3, it says, Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. That's what verse 3 reads. Suddenly... Hmm? outside of him he's not the subject he's not in charge like heaven top down like outside in suddenly a light shone around him what does this mean to become a convert to become a Christian all Christian faith is based on not your imagination not your education not your upbringing, not your best thoughts, not your religious instincts, not your hopes and dreams. It's based on revelation. Christian faith is based on God showing you things about himself. It's based on God speaking to you. Oh, you know, the problem I have with these Christian or religious people is like, they pretend like they know God. Who knows God? Who can know God? You're right. Who can know God? No one can know God, but God knows God. God knows God. And what if God does self-revelation? According to Romans, faith comes from hearing the word of God. Faith can be created and strengthened from hearing outside in, top down, God revealing himself to you. In other words, no one can really know God without God revealing himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in a series of sermons, I think put it best, Christianity is never something you take up. Christianity is not something you can just adopt. No, it takes you up. Christianity is never something you take up. It takes you up. Power, it's nature, it's verifiability. Verifiability. Now, Christian revelation claims... That Saul did not just go into a private solo trance. This is not just a delusion for him. It's not a drug trip. It's not just a good dream. It's grounded in objective reality. Other words, it's verifiable. Verse 7, people around Saul heard noises. <laughs> They're like, where, are those, where was that voice coming from? In Acts chapter 22, Saul or Paul goes into greater detail. They saw something hazy, kind of blurry, but they could not identify who. Verifiable. It's grounded in objective reality. When Paul is put on trial for his Christian faith, before governors, rulers, and kings, of the Roman Empire, who, in an instant, can just take away his life. Do you know how Paul argues and defends his faith? He does not say, "Well, because uh, I made my marriage happier. It made me richer. It gives me so much peace in my heart. You should try it. It could change you too. Do you know what Paul says? You know this is true. It's not hidden away in a corner. It's on public record. There's a Jesus who was executed and crucified. Three days later, the body's gone missing. You tell me what happened. I'll tell you what happened. He rose from the dead. Uh, Harold, Harold, why are you why, why a Christian? Right, an Uber ride or plane ride is the best. They don't know I'm a pastor. They ask me, what you doing? Oh, I'm actually a pastor. But then before that, they might just, you know, what what are you about? And if they ask me why am I a Christian, do you know I I usually say uh, I'm a Christian because it's true? It's for real? I'm convinced it's historical fact. It's verifiable. Everybody has ideas and beliefs about God. You have images and impressions about God. Or you have outright excuses or denials against God. Fine. Where did you get it, though? Where do you get that? From your father? Tell me which books you're reading. Tell me the author's names. I can almost guess then what your conclusion about God would be. Is your intuition? Is it current education and climate and culture? Does it fit into your sophisticated sensibilities today? Is your idea, belief about God verifiable? Verifiable. You know, if it be from God, what you know about God, does this God ever defy you? Ever completely oppose and disagree with you? Hmm? Can you tell me your political party? Can you tell me your tax bracket? Can you tell me your lifestyle? And then readily tell me, the top three things that's so dead wrong about it? Because if you can't, clearly one of those systems or philosophies or values have overtaken you in functioning like what you might call God with a small g. Verifiable. Is it real? Is your God real? Do you know a real God, a living God? How can you know you know God? God. God must reveal himself. Galatians chapter 1 verse 12. Here's what Paul said. For I would have you know brothers that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. (laughs) Wow this is. (laughs) You talk about a narcissistic audacious claim. Paul has been going around preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he dares to say I'm telling you it's not from me. It's just not from me. I never dreamt it. I couldn't write about it. It's not like I got high one day and just had a delusion about it. No, I could not invent this. It's not my gospel. Do you know why? He explains it later. Because he says, I got it direct from the source. I derived it from the source. For I did not receive it from any man. Nor was I taught it. In fact, it was against everything he was taught. but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation. Revelation. Not invention. Not imagination. Revelation. Do you have it? Power, nature, verifiability. Last thing about revelation, its result, one of the first markers, okay, that revelation has occurred in your life from God. The beginning of new vision is to see you cannot see. The beginning of real conversion is the admission and the confession you could not see, you had not seen. Oh, you assumed you could see. You assumed you believed. You assumed you were a good Christian. But when God shows up and speaks to you and shows his reality to you, you begin to realize, I actually didn't really see that. Because of the brightness of the light, verse 8 reads, although his eyes were opened, He saw nothing. Saul, eyes wide open, not like a physical disease overcame him, but he could see nothing. Saul was blinded for three days, and during those three days, undoubtedly in shock and regret, and I would say repentance. Three days of shock and repentance. Don't you think Saul must have agonized How could I have been so dead wrong? How could I have gotten this all wrong? Why could I not see it? I was so blind and lost. Deaf and mute. You see, God physically blinded Saul to take away his spiritual blindness. God temporarily took away his physical vision so that he might convert him and create a whole new spiritual vision. Can you see? What do you see? How deep and far do you see when the scriptures are read or spoken? I don't know what you're seeing right now. I pray to God you're not seeing me. What do you see and sense when worship music is played? What do you see when you go into a a room or a closet for prayer? What do you see or sense when you are most broken and desperate or joyful and happy? Do you see God? Do you see God? I mean, you could look at musical notes on a page. Can you picture with me just those musical notes on a page? Can you ever hear or see or play them like Mozart would? Same notes, right? Same Bible, same words. But could you see and hear and react to it like a Christian would? The markets, all the numbers... All those numbers seemingly fluctuating, but predicted like Warren Buffett. You know, it's reported that uh, Aaron Rodgers, still one of the top-notch quarterbacks in the NFL, a little bit on the decline, reported on a sports talk radio show that he's going to go on a four-day darkness retreat, four days of complete darkness, because Aaron Rodgers heard it's a profound experience. The result, God revealing himself, is you begin to see things you never saw. Blaise Pascal, brilliant mathematician, physicist, inventor, age 19, he invented the world's first mechanical calculator. You know that a computer language was named after him, but Blaise Pascal could not relieve his spiritual desperation. Here's what he wrote. If one does not know himself to be full of pride, ambition, concupiscence, am I pronouncing that right? To look it up, put it in the parentheses for you. That's strong lust. Weakness, pettiness, injustice. One is very blind. And if knowing this, a man does not desire to be delivered, what can one say to him? revelation saul was overtaken and overthrown by a true and living god who revealed himself to him with power distinct nature verifiability and an immediate result second we're done a second element must converge conviction conviction I remember during the pandemic, I was trying to announce something, one of these events on Facebook. And one of my daughters came up to me, dad, dad, no one uses that. No one is on Facebook anymore. Okay, I did not know that. But people used to prefer and utilize Facebook. Maybe it's passing away. Can you think about things you used to use 20, 30 years ago? That have become now obsolete. That's what you call preferences. Options. Choices. Conviction is altogether different. Conviction is something that grabs a hold of you. And doesn't let you go. Conviction more than a preference. Oh, you used to like ice cream. Oh, now you like Yogurt, preference, your body changed. Conviction is something that grabs you and then doesn't let you go. In a court of law, you became a convict, a convict. That is a legal outside verdict pronounced, which has results, which affects you for a certain number of years or maybe for the rest of your life. That's a convict, a convict. Now, conviction is a tag team work of the Holy Spirit of God taking God's self-revelation in his word and if I might put it this way, lighting it on fire. The Holy Spirit loves to use God showing and speaking to us in his word and it grabs you, it pierces you like a sword. It cuts you all the way to the deepest secret places, revelation and then conviction. John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit will come to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. But he leads Jesus saying, first, he will convict people of their sin. What is sin? What is sin? Sin is how you center yourself. Sin is centering the self. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 describes it this way. Where we worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Sin centers the self. Pastor Tim Keller, marvelously observed, quote, we are so instinctively and profoundly self-centered that we don't think we are. We are all so profoundly self-centered. We don't think we are. What is sin? Uh, There's some commotion from the 2023 Grammys occurred right here in L.A. There's a performance by Kim Petras and Sam Smith. Performed a song entitled Unholy. And it's pretty blatant that the worship of Satan... The imagery and pornographic gyrations were right there in prime time. And according to Kim, this was to be an inspiration for the kids. Now, I am certainly not standing up here to say that they were authentically worshipping Satan. Some people can dismiss it and say, oh, it's just a form of art. They're just trying to be edgy and hip. But in any case, most people would look at that and say, "Ah, oh, there's your blatant, gross, wicked, evil sin. But that's not the only part of sin. Sin is all your goodness, all your virtues, all your lifestyle, without appropriate regard and worship and gratitude and glory to God who gave you all those things. Sin is not just your vices. It's all our virtues. It's all our righteousness that we take credit for because what does sin do? It centers the self. It centers the self. Every sinful human being in this room, because you can't get past yourself, neither can I, will destroy, deteriorate, consume, control, and put to death everything in your vortex because you make it about you. Sin... Centers the self. Worship the creation, not creator God. And thus be all the consequences that flow from there. You know, your greatest problem in the world is not your spouse or getting a spouse. It's not climate change, it's not corruption, it's not injustice out there, although that be evil and wicked too. Have you ever been convicted? Have you ever seen what God sees? Do you see what God sees? A conviction of sin. Now, Saul didn't think he needed to be convicted of sin. Saul didn't even think he was that great of a sinner. Most of you in this room have no conscientiousness that you need to be convicted of your sin. But there is a God who may bring that. And when he brings conviction, it's the approach of God. It's him pursuing you. He's coming after you. And look what he did with Saul. Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? Imagine the worst secretive, humiliating, horrible thing you could ever do. Don't say it out loud, but picture it. And in the middle of doing that which you think is the most wicked thing you could ever do. You hear Jesus calling your name. In the middle of it. In the middle of it. Jesus calling your name. What do you think should happen next? Saul, while he is terrorizing, imprisoning, creating martyrs. Of followers and devoted believers in Jesus Christ. While breathing murder and threats. Jesus comes after him. And asks him a question. Instead of immediate execution. Instead of a crushing condemnation. Jesus asks him a question. A question. A question. As if. Can we talk about this? (laughs) Hey, Saul, can I get you to realize and see some things here you've been missing for all of your life? And can I bring conviction to you now? A conviction of how much you have been, in essence, living for you and not for me. Conviction. Conviction. Man, I can't tell you how many times um, once in high school at youth group they never paid attention to a sermon. Tens of times in undergrad college, young adult, seminary, definitely sitting in the audience, again, I'd always rather be in your seat, where I felt. God was revealing and convicting. and He was just dealing with me. There was no one else in the room. God is like settling accounts. He's dealing with me. And I never wanted to leave that seat. And here's what God was doing with Saul. Here's what he's doing with me. Here's what he wants to do with you. Did you know that when he comes and brings conviction of sin, he never just wants you to have only a conviction of sin. But he wants to drown it with an overwhelming, absolute love for you. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Do you know why Jesus is even asking a question? Because Jesus has plan B. Jesus has a whole new life for him. Jesus keeps him alive. So that in verse 4, when Saul fell to the ground, by verse 8, what did we read? Saul rose from the ground. And he goes and does what Jesus tells him to do. The same Jesus who convicts you, makes you throw down into the ground, is the same Jesus that says, rise. Rise now. I've got plans for you. That'll change the world. But it's also going to change you. Saul would recognize that this Jesus, whom he had been persecuting, had come to live and to die and rise again to love and save someone like him. Conviction. Conviction of my sin but conviction of a Savior's love. Listen to me, my friends, this morning. Listen, listen. If all you do is you fall to the ground and you have fallen, you just cannot get back up. You really cannot ever get back up because of that, because of that in the past. You don't know the Savior's love. If all you know is about your sin, but you don't know the superior overwhelming infinite ocean that drowns out all sins and sorrows and memories of a Savior's love for you. You do not yet know the gospel. While breathing threats and murder, Jesus breathed down a whole new life. Because here's how conversion happens. It's when a sinner and the most loving Savior meet. It's when a sinner and the most loving Savior in Jesus meet. This is why later Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1 starting at verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the foremost. Look at that verse with me. On the road to Damascus, by revelation of God, he was convicted of his own sin, but his Savior's love, how much greater it it would be. Later in his life, those two realities only grew in conviction. Now, Paul is saying, of all the sinners in the entire world, I have got to be, and I know I am the worst. But while being the foremost and the worst of all sinners, not only has that conviction grown, he has grown in the conviction of Jesus loves me still. How much greater is the love of Jesus for me still? How much stronger must be the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ for me? And I want to tell you, my friends, Paul never got over it. He never got over it. Do you know what renewal means? It's to never get over. You are a sinner. But you have a loving Savior. Do you know how renewal is unleashed by the Holy Spirit? It's when people's hearts are melted down and broken all over again and remade. By your road to Damascus. Damascus your story of grace and how jesus came to meet you a sinner with his love look at the next two verses but i received mercy for this reason that in me is a foremost jesus christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life to the king of the ages immortal invisible the only god be honor and glory forever and ever amen forever and ever amen I really like Paul I've never met him but I can't wait until someday I do. I really like him I like him because of those last two verses Paul is telling me and telling you it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's going on in your family. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what your track record is. Paul is saying, look at me. Look at me. Do you know what I did? Do you know what I was? Do you know I was an arch enemy and terrorist of Jesus Christ himself? Do you see the patience and the mercy of God? I want to be the poster child. I want to be exhibit A. That for everyone forever and ever and ever could come. If God could save and love a sinner like me. Paul is declaring if Paul if God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit could completely convict and cleanse and forgive and love someone like me Oh I want you to know for sure He would love to do that for you too It's not a problem It's not hard It's not a stretch Because Jesus already did all the work. And he will turn sinners. He will transform and turn sinners. With the tsunami of love. So that the rest of your life is about. Not the self. Honor, glory, praise be to God. Forever. And ever. Ever. Anyone can come. Anyone can come. Renewal happens in my heart when I don't get over what Jesus did for me. Renewal happened to Paul when he retells it, relives it, reshares it all the days of his life. But do you also know how renewal can happen to you? It's okay, it's okay if you grew up Christian, if you've gone to a church a long time, you assumed you were Christian because you had a Christian family. But my dear friend, has God ever revealed himself to you? Have He got it direct from the source? And he has ever convicted you all the way to the depths of your soul of your sin but the greater love of a savior. You come, you come, you get baptized, you join a church, and to God be the glory and honor forever. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you, O Lord, for the work you can do in someone like Saul, but I thank you, O Lord, that you do that work today, even now, with someone like me, with anyone and everyone here like us. Holy Spirit, would you reveal God? Would you bring about conviction of who we are and the Savior's love? Oh Lord, we pray, would you do that? Can I just give you a couple moments to pray? Pray with me back to the Lord, to the Lord who is here, and he will meet you here where you are at, as you are. That's why he came down to live and die and resurrect for you. Pray with me, and then we'll sing this song of response. Let's pray.